Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hello and welcome to the award-winning Offside Rule podcast, We Get It. It has a lovely ring to it. Brought to you by Continental Tyres, getting you to the game safely. We are absolutely delighted with our award. We've had a great week and I'm joined this week by Mina Rizuki and Kate Borsay, who went all the way up to Manchester Woo-hoo! to collect the award, Kate. I did. I went up to Manchester of Auburn. It was a wonderful journey and went up there, managed managed to get a hotel room, a luxury uh, room at the uh, Budget Ibis for £34. <laughs> I know. The podcast looks after us, doesn't it, ladies? Uh, so there I was in my... Um, disabled friendly room as well the bloke at reception got a little bit flustered when he saw that I wasn't actually disabled and that's what room had been allocated to me but I went and had a nice big room with a seat in my shower which which I very much enjoyed the next day when I couldn't stand up because of the hangover uh, so uh, yes um, went up to Manchester surrounded by podcasters and bloggers at the football blogging awards and we picked up the judges award for best podcast so thank you very much and um, to everyone that voted and I guess to the judges really first and first and foremost um for recognizing it, it feels really nice actually to have that bit of industry recognition some good judges there as well actually Dan Walker Jamie Jackson um Owen Gibson some 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 really heavyweight newspaper people there um giving us the award so I was really pleased well, I'm, I, I, for one, didn't even hesitate in thinking that 100% that we would get this award. <laughs> well, that's nice to have that confidence, Mina. Thank I you. Think so. Well, whilst you were there, Lindsay and I were busy working in London and on the evening decided to head to the Opta quiz, which was great fun. There were some very tough questions because two of our team are 21 years old. Um, a lot of the questions, the answers... <laughs> Had kind of came before they were born, so we struggled a little bit there. And then we'd had a few glasses of wine and mini burgers and chicken nuggets and chips. We were just more bothered about having a good time than the questions. <laughs> you know, we always say that this podcast is kind of against the kind of grey-haired old men thing. Well, we needed one of those yeah. grey-haired old men at the Opta Quiz, but um, you did well considering it was all you know a lot of it kind of circa 1960, 70, probably early 80s. You did really well. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking there wasn't any questions on European football then. There was a few, but it was like European football before we were born, Mina. Oh, Definitely before you were born. Oh, well, no, actually, I'm a lot older than you think I am. And uh, I would have been of no help then. So I feel a little bit happy that I was also in Manchester at that point uh, doing a podcast. So. Well, there you go. Tell you what, speaking of old, we're on a recording device which uh, back dates <laughs> to about 1972. So if it sounds a little bit different today, the reason we have this is because Lindsay Hooper is sunning herself in Miami, having a great time. She's on holiday. But let's hope some of those facts and stats have sunk in while mm. she's out there. And she doesn't forget some of those, you know, great things that we learned at the Opta Quiz. And I've, I've nicked a few stats from the quiz as well. And we're going to have a bit of a chat, first of all, about some of those stats from the, maybe the Premier League so far and things that have surprised us. We're also going to be talking as well about the Golden Boot. Who's going to be leading come May? Now, Kate, you have the championship. Mina has a focus on the Premier League. And I have League One touching on League Two. So who do we think is going to come out on top? And cancellations and hold-ups. And I'm not talking about tights and stockings, girls. The Athens derby, that was cancelled after dramatic scenes at the weekend. Fireworks and rioting took place. And after an hour, they decided that they were going to cancel the game and they might actually give the three points to Olympiacos because it was Panathinaikos fans that were causing most of the havoc. And they were banned from the game. They shouldn't have been there in the 
the first place. Also, um, at the weekend, there's another funny story coming from the Belgian leagues, which has led us on to this. We're going to be talking about some of the weird and wonderful things that have happened. The postponement of a game due to something <laughs> weird and, 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 and crazy that's gone on or just a complete cancellation altogether. But let's start with some of these stats and facts that we've we've learned from uh, not just the quiz, but from Opta Online, from Sky Sports, maybe even the BBC and just our general knowledge of we're so intelligent about the game. I mean, we're award winners at the end of the day. So what we <laughs> says goes the facts that we come out with are absolutely correct so do not question it you can pick up some of these facts and throw them to your friends at the pub at a weekend and say i learned that from the award-winning offside rule podcast let's start with you mina <laughs> okay I, this, that was really funny right okay we're gonna i've been looking at these stats and i'm trying to figure out because i'm really into who conceded the most who scored the most because that's the, that's the part of the game that i enjoy the most and i came across one that i thought was really Interesting, because I wouldn't have thought this at all. Now, who do you think has produced the most amount of dribbles per game this season, on average? I'm thinking Arsenal midfielder, maybe even Chelsea, but then maybe as far as dribbles are concerned, they might not have been that successful. (laughs) Well, this is it. It's the team that's leading the Premier League at the moment, and it's Leicester. And we've got Real de Mares as the man who averages the most amount of dribbles this per game this season. Would you have ever guessed that? No, actually, I wouldn't. Not at all. So he's being allowed, which it's interesting that he's being allowed to dribble that much, right? I, exactly that. And another one that actually struck me as well is because it's a team, well, I'm not going to give it away, but best pass success percentage. I'm thinking if I was going to go generalist, I'd probably go a Spanish player. <laughs> who? Do you know why I laugh so much? Is because I for sure thought it was going to be an Arsenal player when it comes to this, especially because Santi Cazorla is the one who's managed the most amount of passes per game. But actually, it's a team that you would never associate, or at least not historically. It's Stoke, and it's Ibrahim. What? Yeah, and it's Ibrahim Afalai with 91.6%. Oh. I mean, what a great stand for me. Like, I would never have pegged him as somebody who was going to have such great accuracy. Well, there you go. You mentioned Leicester in there, Mina. They're actually the Premier League's top scorers, but none of their 28 goals have been netted from outside the box. All have come from within the box. Correct. That's right. And what about uh, goalkeepers? We're talking about defensive records. I had him in my fantasy football team from the beginning of the year, and I'm delighted that I did. Jack Butland has made the most saves than any other goalkeeper in the Premier League this season by some way, 50 saves. So his defence has let him down on many occasions, but thank God they've got him in goal. And what about up front? Let's bring you some stats. Who started each of Tottenham's last 41 Premier League games? The best current run by a Premier League player and has run further than any other Premier League forward this season. Kind of an obvious one. Harry Kane? Yes, (laughs) Yes, it's got to be Harry Kane. Talking of forwards, actually, I'm going to chip in with one just here. Um, Romelu Lukaku is the fifth player in Premier League history to score 50 goals before turning 23 years of age. Can you name me the other four? Wayne Rooney. Correct. Michael Owen. Correct. Ronaldo? Correct. And there's another Liverpool player, not just Owen at that time, but also... Is it Fowler? There you go, Fowler. So uh, some young Liverpool starlets featuring in there. Let me give you another one as well. How about this? Chelsea, they won against Norwich, didn't they, at the weekend? A marvellous win. Well, a must win. Bit of an unusual thing for Chelsea this season, not to have too much of a dig, of course. Um, that was only their third clean sheet in their last 16 Premier League matches. Wow. 
Now, this is interesting, but they are also the team that have, that have scored the most amount of own goals this season as well. Are they really? Yeah. They've scored three. Well, we talk about Chelsea being right down at the bottom of the table and Leicester at the top, but there's another table that I'm focusing on here, and it's, it's not good. Newcastle are at the top of this particular table. Manchester United are second, followed by Liverpool, then Arsenal. Who tops this table in the order of these teams? Why do you think Newcastle? Fan dissatisfaction? <laughs> Quite possibly. You know, it's funny, when you said Arsenal and United are in this, I thought wasted possession, but... <laughs> it's, it's kind of wasted. Wasted players at the top of the injury list. There you go. Oh, so. surely Arsenal, top of this. No, according to Physio Room, yeah, Newcastle actually, top of that, top of the charts. So just very quickly, running you through the Newcastle injury list, 10 of them, Teote, Haidara, Ahrens, Colback, Krull, Obertan, Darlow, Taylor, Rivieri, and Good as well. As for Manchester United... Well, they've got Phil Jones out, Herrera, Rooney, Martial, Carrick, Fellaini, Wilson, Valencia and Shaw. Bournemouth follow after that also with eight injuries and Arsenal. They do have a lot of injuries and it is seven and we all thought that they would potentially be at the top, but they've got the most high profile players out injured. So that's potentially why I think you might have been thinking that. OK, which team travels the best? Since the start of the 2013-14 season, I've got the stats for the most league points on the road. Who do we think? Well, it's definitely not Sunderland getting their first away win off the season. So they're probably the bottom of the table as far as that's concerned. Mina? I would have thought United, but could it be Arsenal? Could it be Arsenal? Yes, it could. Congratulations, Mina. Arsenal, most league points on the road. Best away record uh, since 2013-14. 84 points. Chelsea next up with 76. City, 79. Breaking news, everyone. Stand by your beds. This is Jim White. You can download the Offside Rule podcast this very day. Now, we are the golden girls of the podcast world in football. We know that. The award winning. In fact, I should have bought it today, shouldn't I? For us, for us to pose with, especially Mina, who's you know coming to the podcast this season, very much part of our crew. We got, by the way, um, a little framed. Didn't have any glass in it. I don't think the budget stretched to that, but it was um, a framed award certificate, and perhaps this is where the glass budget went to a little glass award. With our name etched into it. So, ladies, the award-winning podcast, we have trophies to show for it. One day, we're each going to have a toilet, a downstairs toilet, and a house big enough to have a downstairs toilet where we can keep all these awards. House, well, I don't even have a downstairs. (laughs) No, you do. Just. Right, let's move on to our next topic. Whose boot will be golden come May? So we're going to make our case for the top scorers in the Football League right now, why they will come out on top and maybe just a line or two on their nearest contenders and why you think they will fall at the wayside. Mina. Okay, well, I have the Premier League and obviously at the moment, there's great stats on, you know, obviously Jamie Vardy's doing an amazing job. Not only has he now equaled Ruud van Nistelrooy's um, record of scoring in 11 consecutive matches, Ranier is calling him Batigol after Gabriel Batistuta, who managed the same feat. And I believe the record is 16 goals, um, 16 goals in the 16 consecutive games. But now this is the interesting bit. Skybet offered odds of 200 to 1 on him being top goal scorer this season. This is obviously before <laughs> before the season started. I can only imagine this has dramatically changed. Now, as much as I do believe that this is a man who like who has the, the bit between his teeth and he really wants to prove his doubters wrong, and this is a great story, let's be honest. This is a wonderful story. 
I do feel that somewhere along the line, this could fall apart. And I'm somebody who always, I'm a little bit of a capitalist in the way that I think. And I can't help but think. I, you are so Italian, by the way, <laughs> through and through. I mean, you, 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 every single, every single element of what you've just said is so Italian. <laughs> I know it's really horrible. I know. But come on, can you really overlook the likes of Aguero? If we're talking about Paz conversion rate, I know everyone keeps looking at Giroud, but actually for the amount of, don't count the appearances, count the amount of minutes played and the goals, and then you'll see Aguero has the best conversion rate. Not only that, but you'll see also that um, uh, the injuries are potentially a problem for the Argentine. So that that needs to be definitely looked at. But also I'm interested in the way that Aguero scores because he's, he's amazing in different angles. He scored from outside of the penalty area, inside, inside the six-yard box, whereas Vardy is all about scoring in the penalty area. So, And he also needs more shots on goal, obviously speaking. So if, if Leicester can keep it up, then obviously he's my pick. But I'm always, always going to struggle to overlook somebody as talented as Sergio Aguero for the top spot. All right. Well, I've been given the task of looking at the championship and my vote goes to Jordan Rhodes. He's currently fourth in the charts or joint second, whichever way you look at it. But he's got nine goals. He's not top at the moment. Had a really good run in September. But what's key to him is that his team, Blackburn, sit 13th as we record this in the championship. And I think it's only going to get better for them. I think they're going to be reinvigorated by the arrival of Paul Lambert. Um, I quite like the way that Paul Lambert can set his teams out in an attacking way. I think he believes in young striking talent. I think he probably will go on the offensive with this team, certainly because they've got people like Jordan Rhodes there. So as long as Rhodes gets on with Lambert, and I think he will do, I think that will only serve to add to that tally and make Jordan Rhodes top goal scorer in the championship by the end of the season. Who else is up there at the moment? Well, Andre Gray from Burnley doing really well. Uh, 11 goals. He's on fire. He scored five in four games. Nick Blackman's up there on nine as well, but he's not scored in five games or so. So he's dried up a little bit. Ross McCormack from Fulham too. Four goals in four consecutive games. But again, I just, I'm drawn towards Rhodes every time. A quick mention for Chris Martin from Derby and Abel Hernandez too. Abel Hernandez, Hull City sitting top of the table at the moment. So there's always a good chance if you're in a good side, then you're going to be given enough support to create those goals. But yeah, for me, it's Jordan Rhodes. Okay, well, that's very interesting indeed. I'm going to focus on uh, League One. I'm going to scrap League Two because we're quite frankly running out of time. And we'll do a League Two topic very soon and go north of the border for Scotland as well. So as for League One, we've got Coventry City, who are currently at the top, three points clear of uh, Gillingham. Uh, Walsall, Wigan and Burton in there. Now, Peterborough United are right down in ninth. However, they have scored the most goals. They have the best attack. 39 goals scored. Their top goal scorer has only scored three goals, though. It's shared about the team. So I was kind of looking at the best attack and heading up there and thought, well, it's got to be Peterborough. They've scored four or more goals a couple of times this season, but actually it's not. They play as a team. Coventry City, however, have an individual who is destined for stardom. He's from the northeast. He's five foot seven, potentially the next Alan Shearer. You've got Tony <laughs> Mowbray. Okay, he's from Middlesbrough, not Newcastle, but as a northeast man, he's putting his faith into this youngster who's on loan. So, provided that Coventry City can keep hold of this youngster, Adam Armstrong, I think he will be way out there for the top scorer at the end of the season. He might be Armstrong, but is he foot strong, Hayley? He absolutely is. He scored He scored 12 goals this season with five braces, OK? Goal scored by Newcastle so far this season as a whole team, 
13. League goals scored by Armstrong so far this season on his own, 12. So had Newcastle kept him at Newcastle, who knows they could have scored more goals. John Carver actually said he felt that he held him back and that he held his career back and he should have gone out on loan a little sooner. But because of the injury situation, and we know where they are at the top of the table for this season, similar story last season as well. He definitely has something to prove. He needs to stay at Coventry. He's got a manager who believes in him. And check this out for an England under 21. So under 16s, he scored two goals in six games. Under 17s, 10 goals in 12. Under 18s, nine and nine. And he scored one so far in four appearances for the under 19s. So he's definitely one to watch. And you're going to like this, Mina, because as far as lone players in the Premier League are concerned, he comes only second to one player out on loan who is storming it right now. Who could that be? A Premier League player who's out on loan at a club and the club want to keep hold of him. Juan Cuadrado. Yes, exactly. You got it. So Cuadrado, he had sometimes struggled to control the ball in his what half a season at, at Chelsea, but he's had a bit of a renaissance at Juventus. No team has made more Serie A assists so far this season. Well, the winner in the Turin Derby, of course, earned him hero status, maybe just for that day. But yeah, so Juve seem pretty satisfied with their player. But it's Aaron Armstrong, who's playing down in League One, who I think is going to go on and score more goals, providing he stays fit. He's only five foot seven, but he's very nippy and he's a very, very Mm. skilled player. Follow us on Twitter at OffsideRulePod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get It. There's only one of us. And finally, cancellations and hold-ups. So we mentioned the Athens Derby being being cancelled. I spoke to Luke Steele live on Sky Sports off the back of it. He is, of course, Panathinaikos' is number one. People forget about him. Uh, this uh, young, strapping English lad who went out there and is pretty much a hero. He's been on the back pages hailed as the, you know, a Greek god for quite some time now and has signed a new three-year deal with Panathinaikos. He's absolutely loving life out there, but says he does get a little bit scared sometimes when things you know, are taken to another level of extreme Derby mental Uh, And obviously with things that have happened, as we know, uh, the awful attacks in Paris where where games have been cancelled for sensitivity reasons and because of people's safety, you do have to worry when there are fireworks and flares going off uh, within a game. So there's a serious element about this as well, but not so serious, a bit silly. There was a footballer in Belgium who relieved himself on the pitch. They were going to pause for him to head off to the toilet, but he he decided no. They're not going to hold a game up whilst he goes to the toilet. He didn't want to miss out. So he just uh, got his tiddler out at the side of the pitch, had a little wee. Guess what? He watched his teammate score. And uh, yeah, you can imagine the celebrations as he jumped up and down. So yeah, that, that didn't really hold the game up, but it certainly, it was a bit of a distraction. That's for sure. So we're going to have a look at uh, some of the, the weird and wonderful things that have happened in the world of football because we're coming up to the season now where it's a little bit nippy and, you know, there's going to be frozen pictures and a bit of waterlogging as well and uh, safety issues around the icy roads surrounding the, the smaller grounds. So let's tell you about some of the things that have happened when games have fallen foul in the past. Mina. Well, mine has to do with, uh, well, it's an Italian game. And uh, when you think of Italians and you think of football, and then what, what kind of movies would you associate with Italians? The Godfather. <laughs> it's interesting that you the say Italian that. job, I mean. So basically, crime syndicates, really. <laughs> um, and now this is an interesting story, because now in Genoa, now cast your mind back to April 2012, which wasn't that long ago, in the Stadio Luigi Ferraris, Genoa took on Siena. 
and they were trailing 4-0. Now, if I have to explain to you, Siena is a very small club and Genoa was huge. Trailing 4-0, Genoa Ultras early in the second half started to throw fireworks onto the pitch. They effectively broke into the family section after leaving their seats in the northern stand. And there were about 60 to about 80 of them. The referee stopped the match as the fans climbed over the barriers between them and the players on the pitch. Police did nothing. And Taliavento, the referee, led his officials and the Siena players off the pitch. Now, Marco Rossi was the captain of Genoa at the time. And he was attempting to negotiate with these irate fans or, or ultras, as we, as we like to call them. And basically, the ultras wanted the players to take off their kit or at least take off their jerseys because they were deemed unworthy of Ooh. wearing the Genoa crest. And they were just... I'm a fan of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you don't belong on our team. You are not worthy of carrying our name. And this is bear in mind, Genoa was now there with their president, Enrico Preziosi. And uh, they were all just standing on the pitch. And what did Rossi do? He took off his jersey and started collecting them from Ooh. his teammates. So there he was walking around as if he was a PE teacher, picking up all these jerseys that had now been thrown on the floor. It's like a fine drama, isn't it? I mean, I mean, it's like some sort of tragedy with these, you know, these fiery Italians taking a remonstrating, taking off their kits. It's just, it's, it's just brilliant. I mean, just imagine this. Genoa is one of the oldest clubs in yeah. Italy with a huge, huge history behind them. Now Gian Domenico Mesto was crying, and there was one what? player. I know. Imagine this, Giuseppe Sculli. Now, he refused. When, they, when it came time for him to take off his jersey, he was like, no, no, this stays on. And he got really angry. He walked up to the ultras and he demanded a confrontation with them. And he started talking to them and he grabs one of them by the neck and they start to gesture and, and all of this. And then he walks off and says, yeah, it's fine. Now, the myth or, or rather the story surrounding Scully is that his uh, grandfather uh, is a strong figure in the Calabrian uh, crime syndicate. <laughs> so... Uh, not going to make any references to the Godfather here, but basically um, Calabria is quite famous for the Drangheta crime syndicate. And uh, he was arrested for drug trafficking in 2004. This is the grandfather at the time. Um, and he's a huge fan, obviously, of his grandson. So there's all these things where everyone's a little bit scared of Scully, although nothing's ever mentioned. And it's all very, you know, allegedly this and allegedly that. Um, Scully himself had his name mentioned and was accused of being involved in matrixing scandal he stood his ground he managed to get the game to the whole matter to be resolved and they restarted the game they still lost 4-1 and the coach was fired later that evening (laughs) and never seen again (laughs) but needless to say he kept his jersey on (laughs) but I mean if you think this is bad I mean this is just one but the really quick mention we have to do is is also in 2001 when Inter played Atalanta and basically, they brought in a scooter into the second tier of the San Siro. Yeah. And they brought in a scooter and tried to hurl it onto the pitch set once after setting it on fire. Uh, they didn't manage to do that. They didn't manage to get it onto the pitch. But they did manage to get it into, into the lower decks wow. while telling people to come off. And the whole question is, how on earth in the San Siro were a bunch of fans able of, to bring in a scooter to hurl down onto the pitch? <laughs> that leaves you with Italian games. Perhaps there's a really steely mechanic working below the stadium and like a Vespa came in, a flat pack, <laughs> flat pack Vespa. The bloke quickly, quickly made up the whole thing in the first half and out it came. Um, I love that story. I tell you what, I guess he's going to wake up with a horse's head in their bed tomorrow morning. Um, Beach balls. I'm going to give you a couple of famous ones here, just to mention quickly. Beach balls. Liverpool 
and Sunderland. If you cast your mind back, uh, a beach ball uh, was um, <laughs> um, a very large part in uh, Darren Bent's goal tally, actually, um, because uh, Darren Bent, who was playing for Sunderland... The, the, um, the prolific Darren Bent. The prolific Darren <laughs> Bent. Yes, almost as prolific as this beach ball. It caused a lot of headlines afterwards. But if you cast your mind back, you'll remember that his shot struck a beach ball which had been thrown um, from the visiting section at the Stadium of Light and it deflected off the beach ball and passed Liverpool goalkeeper at the time, Pepe Reina. Um, the official in charge of that game, by the way, Mike Jones, incorrectly awarded the goal. He was demoted for the next game. Oh, yes, harsh. The Anfield Cat had... Something like like nearly a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, like really excessive amounts of followers on Twitter. Um, this was when um, Liverpool played a home game against Tottenham Hotspur, and um, a grey and white tabby wandered across the turf, totally non-phased by the noise that must have been coming from the cop and from Anfield. On oh, it strutted, and uh, one of the uh, officials. Well, the stewards, I think, came on and uh, picked up uh, the cat. And uh, within minutes, there were fake Twitter accounts um, and all sorts of um, jests and jibes about this cat. Um, I wanted to mention a quick one about high winds, because actually we forget that a lot of football stadiums um, were built when they wouldn't necessarily consider all different factors of weather. And as buildings go up around, you can create wind tunnels. So often football pitches that have been absolutely fine aren't, depending on development within the area. Um, love this. From March 2004, there were high winds everywhere. And it was a first division um, fixture between Stoke City and West Bromwich Albion at the time. The first postponement ever at the Britannia Stadium. Referee Keith Hill called off the game. I know this isn't during play but anyway called off the game 90 minutes before scheduled kickoff explaining that the high winds um, at the stadium were causing channeled air in parts of the stadium making it difficult in uh, some areas of the field of play for players to stand up so can you imagine if that game had gone ahead players couldn't actually stand up on the field of play because of the high wind channels be like whipped up like a little tornado and little pockets of the pitch. That'd be a very interesting game of football, wouldn't it? Who can who can stay on their feet the longest? I have a couple and they, they, they vary from really high profile games to, to, to lower down the league um, where you expect cancellations, but you don't expect a World Cup qualifier to be postponed or cancelled or a 3-0 win completely awarded to the team that turned up when the other team didn't. This is Scotland. That's right. They were due to play Estonia and Tallinn back in October 1996. Craig Brown, who was a manager at the time, was very concerned about the stadium's floodlights. FIFA also agreed with them and shared the concerns. Um, they switched it to a three o'clock kickoff at nine o'clock the same morning. So it was just a few hours later. Estonia protested. They said they weren't given enough time and they couldn't prepare. And basically they just didn't turn up. But Scotland, their players, and there were full debutants as well. There was Jackie McNamara in there as well as Billy Dodds. They were made to line up, <laughs> do the full ceremony. I totally remember this. Yeah, both national anthems were played yeah. whilst there was no other team in the stadium. <laughs> That's right. The whistle blew and... Uh, Scotland were awarded a 3-0 default victory. Mm. That's what, or so they thought. FIFA later actually ordered the game to be replayed at a neutral venue. Um, and typically for Scotland, uh, it was a goalless draw. But it was in a slightly more glamorous uh, Monaco Stade Louis Stadium. That was a couple of months later. Now, the British record for postponements in a single fixture, not surprisingly, that's also in Scotland. And the Scottish Cup second round game between Inverness Thistle 
and uh, Falkirk that was scheduled for the 6th of January 1979. I'd like to say it was before I was born. That's great. Um, 29 postponements this game had. That's right. It was actually played at the end of February in 1979. So every week, for a couple of days a week, they tried to get this fixture in. Uh, Falkirk actually beat Inverness Caledonian Fistle 4 0 uh, at the 30th attempt of trying to stage the match. Now, completely eclipsing that story, a bizarre postponement for Torquay up against Portsmouth in the Worthington Cup first round game. It was due to be played at Plainmore. It was a Wednesday evening, but it was also the date of a total eclipse of the sun. And it was visible predominantly in the Torquay area. The tourist board had been promoting it. They'd known since 1927 that this eclipse was going to happen. The date, the location, everything. Hundreds of people headed not just that, thousands headed to the area near Plainmore and to the stadium. And the police decided just before the game that they couldn't police the match. The influx of visitors was just too much to the area and that the eclipse completely eclipsed the match. I remember this one. And you'd think if someone said, oh, postponed because of a total eclipse or a, a big <laughs> eclipse, that, that, it, that it would be on kind of light issues. Mm. But obviously that they've got floodlights. Instead, the police decided that there just weren't enough of them to deal with the eclipse crowds and a game of football as well. Well, thank you very much to Mina for joining us. You're on your Champions League uh, duty this week. Oh, I am indeed. So I've got to run off. But it's been really fun to do this. I've really enjoyed all the stories and the trivia. So there you go. Actually, if you follow us on Twitter, at OffsideRealPod, you can maybe give us some ideas as to what you might want us to talk about on a future podcast. We think Lindsay's going to be back next week, but we're certainly going to be keeping this going up until Christmas with our award-winning podcast and right through to the new year, but maybe to the end of the year. Now we're getting a bit lazy and we're out on a few Christmas parties and whatnot, which we'll fill you in on, by the way, when we've been out and had a few stories. You can maybe help us with some of the topics. Uh, But for now, from myself, from Mina and for Kate, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. for helping us push the podcast on social media and uh, make sure that we are recognised as a group of brilliantly talented people working for (laughs) an award-winning Offside Rule podcast supported by Continental Tyres getting you to the game safely. Thank you very much. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Sports Social Podcast Network.